Man, welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This, this is episode two hundred and seventy-one. Jason Lindgren is with me, and Mark Passio is back with us. We're going to talk in hour one about some ideas about anarchy. And by the way, th- this is another one of those terms that you've been led to associate it with all these things that it did not initially stand for. And uh, Mark will correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I think people can get an idea by doing the etymology on a word like government. Meant is always mind. So you're basically controlling the mind with the idea of government. Shows how far we've got away from the meaning of words. But anyhow, hour two, we're going to get into the the tenets of Satanism. I was going to say pillars, but there's more than two. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. Good morning. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you? Good. You got anything or should we just do this thing? No, I did speak with the nice lady who I'm working on the film with, and uh, we're making tentative plans to go do some more shooting, but I don't really have any details yet, so more to follow. All right, so the film you're shooting is with medical professionals that are saying something other than the mainstream, if people can follow along. Actually, we've both been asked to do narration on that, so we'll see where that goes. Anything else? No, let's go for it. All right, welcome, Mark. Pro Jason, thank you for having me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, I should have said welcome back. So I'm not going to drop the ball this time or Rose will ride me for the next three weeks. Why don't you <laughs> Why don't you let folks know where they can find you online right out of the gate? Sure. Uh, my main website is whatonearthishappening.com. That's my site. And uh, there's a ton of information up there in the form of uh, audio, video, podcast series with over 236 episodes. And I always recommend people to uh, check out the podcast in order, starting at number one. And uh, a whole new worldview could open up for you if you go through all that material. And Mark, let's talk about the arc for a moment, too. Sure, yeah. The Arc Drive is a hard drive. It's a two terabyte hard drive. Uh, It started out with a friend of mine years ago uh, asking me to put some of the best information, uh, research information that I had downloaded. I've been downloading information uh, since back in really the early 90s, like at the very beginning of the internet. And a friend of mine noticed that I had a huge, huge digital archive of material that I had downloaded. And uh, he knew that I was very knowledgeable about what was taking place in the world. And uh, he wanted to, you know, learn about it. And he said, you know, instead of me just asking you questions, why don't you put some of the research data that you've amassed, you know, since you've been online onto a, a hard drive for me? This is when like terabyte hard drives were like seven, $800. And he picked one up and he said, would you be willing to fill this up? And I had been archiving information on DVDs. Uh, so it was like bags full of DVDs, literally like those uh, disc bags, you know, and um, I'm like, this is going to be a huge project, but yeah, I'll do it for you. So uh, I took out all my DVDs and was like putting them into my DVD burner and deciding, well, is this worth putting on the drive? Is this some of the best stuff that I have? Uh, and I did that, went through all my discs until I filled up that one terabyte hard drive for my friend. And that became what I called the ARC, uh, the ARK, Amazing Repository of Knowledge, and um, decided I'm going to make that available for whoever wants it. And uh, if they write to me, I'll basically have them send me a drive. I'll put the data on it and send it back to them. That's what the ARC drive offer started out as. And then uh, I added another terabyte to it, and now it's a two terabyte information offer. So 
People can check that out at whatonearthishappening.com slash ARC, or just click the ARC tab or button on the site, and you can get shipping information. Now, I try to keep the shipping pretty stringent because it's like I have a lot of these coming in, and I have to basically keep a a flow going. So uh, there are some rigid shipping instructions, but if you follow those, it shouldn't be too difficult, and uh, you'll you'll be able to get that uh, two terabytes of research data. All right, cool. Um, That's a hell of an offer. So there it is, folks. You know where to get Mark. Uh, We'll talk about that again at the end of this episode. Jason, don't let me forget. Uh, I don't know. Should we quote the construct Johnny Rotten before we jump in here? He wants to be anarchy, but this is my Mm -hmm. point. What anarchy means and the way it's been presented in the popular consciousness, look look at the Sex Pistols. You know, um, I, I think at the end of that song, a bunch of times he says, destroy and things like this. It's the right. negative connotation being put on these ideas. Clearly, the Sex Pistols is wholly a construct. As a matter of fact, their whole genre is provably a construct. Punk rock. And I, I was hooked, hook, line, and sinker into that. I was in a punk rock band, by the way. But where do you want to jump in here uh, with Anarchy, Mark? Well, I think that's a great place to start is with the etymology of the word. A lot of times people don't realize that the words that we speak in the English language uh, have origins in ancient languages like Latin and Greek. Uh, Anarchy is no different. I would say it's estimated that probably around between 60 and 70 percent of the words that we speak in English have origins in Latin and Greek. So uh, anarchy comes from the ancient Greek roots. It's a, a prefix an, a or an in Greek, if it's added onto a word, means the absence of or without, not present. And then the root word is the noun arkos archon. And that means master or ruler in the specific connotation that it it does not mean like the master of an art or the master of a skill. The connotation of master or a ruler that they're talking about is the master over a slave or a ruler over a subject. So an archon is an authority figure that owns another being, owns a person. Okay. So the master of a slave. So if you put those two root words together and arcos and archon, you get without a ruler without a master, the absence of a ruler, the absence of a master. And that is all the word anarchy has ever meant, means now, and ever will mean. The connotation that people uh, take the, the meaning of the word in today is a falsely derived definition to mean lawlessness, disorder, Chaos. These are the things, these are the images that are conjured up when one says the word anarchy. If you played a word association game with people on the street and you said, give me the first word that comes to your mind, anarchy, go. And you just put a percentage together of how many people are going to say chaos or lawlessness or disorder, it's going to amount to about 99% of human beings probably that will give you that false definition because that definition has been hammered into people's minds by the social engineers of our world. When in fact, all it ever has meant is the absence of a ruler, no rulers, no masters, the absence of a master-slave relationship, or in other words, freedom. Anarchy literally means the state of not being in slavery. That is literally what it means, not having a master or a ruler. Now, if you tell people 
give me a word association, one word, and I, I'd say to you, no masters, no rulers, most people are going to say that means freedom. But that is exactly what the word anarchy means. Anarchy means without rulers. It does not mean without rules. It does not mean without order. It does not mean that there is total lawlessness and chaos because there are always rules under natural law. Rules cannot be removed under natural law because they are inherent to creation. The rules or laws of morality can never be withdrawn from creation. They can never be taken out of effect in the universe because they are natural, inherent, universal, spiritual laws that have been put into effect by the creator of the universe and can never be taken out of effect or affected at all by anything that humankind or any three-dimensional beings in this universe can do. Uh, it is an impossibility to take those rules or laws out of effect. So anarchy definitely doesn't mean no rules. It means no rulers, no masters, or in other words, a state of freedom where there is the absence of a master-slave relationship. So this has a strong corollary with the law series we've been doing, and I'll just draw the line real quick. So the idea in most of law, and people get so fed up with legal ideas, there's a difference between legal ideas law and legal, but the legal ideas have been put in place, which underscores what Mark just said, because without violating universal law, other human beings cannot do things to you or force you to do things, which is how we get all these constructs. There's a piece of paper with your name on it. Is this you? Oh, it is. Okay. We're going to do all these things to this piece of paper, and we're going to make you responsible for the piece of paper. There's the basic workaround. And so what, what we're learning in the idea of anarchy and in the idea of law is do people need to be ruled? Do they need to be fooled or can people rule themselves? I mean, do you see the corollary there, Mark? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I just make the distinction that I feel that all of the laws of man are basically unnecessary and not morally legitimate because if a if a man-made law or construct is in harmony with natural law, meaning that it is moral, that it is in keeping with universal moral principles, then it's a redundancy. It's like saying that on a cloudless day, the sky refracts blue light to the human eye and putting that down as, as some kind of a, a law is a redundancy. It, it's just true. It's just what is. But if a man-made law or construct is in opposition to natural law or the universal laws of morality, then it can never be actually binding upon anyone. That's why all of man's law is uh, fraudulent. All of man's law is the idea that man can somehow usurp the place of the creator and be the lawmaker. Uh, all of man's law is based in moral relativism because it's all about the whims of the legislator at any given time or geographical location. It can change with respect to time and location uh, as with laws of prohibition or with uh, laws of any given jurisdiction. I mean, you even look at the word jurisdiction, which is the basis of man's law. Uh, if you break that down into its etymological roots, that's very interesting because that comes from the Latin language, jus juris in Latin. Uh, again, there's no really uh, a J in classical Latin. It would be I-U-S. Uh, that means a right, jus 
Juris means right, and then um, or law, and then dicto dictare in Latin, the second part of jurisdiction means to say or to speak. So literally, it means to say what the law is or to say what people's rights are, to speak it. That is the definition of what a dictator does, the one who speaks something into existence. So literally, jurisdiction means to say what the law is, to take it upon yourself to speak into existence what rights are, to arbitrate what rights are, not to discover them, not to apply the trivium method and discover what right and wrong actually are objectively. Uh, again, a right is a behavior that does not cause, that does not initiate harm to another sentient being, while wrongdoings are behaviors which do initiate harm to other sentient beings. Dictating the law has nothing to do with the discovery of right and wrong objectively. It means that a legislator in any given area is saying, I'm basically God and I'm going to say what right and wrong are. I'm going to say what the law is. I'm going to say what your rights are and what your rights are not. And if you don't go along with that construct that I've laid out, then uh, I'm going to do violence to you directly, or I'm going to threaten you with violence if you don't comply and or have a henchman or, or a group of people uh, that are willing to do violence, uh, do that to you if you don't comply with my decrees. That is all the laws of man ever have been. That's all they are now, and that's all they ever will be. They are threats of violence. They are not uh, in any way any type of uh, voluntary aspects, and uh, they're backed by violence. That that's all, that's all it is, and that's why I throw all of man's law out by saying uh, there really is no such thing as legitimacy in the authority of any human beings over any other human beings. There is only natural law. The big part of my work is making that delineation or distinction between what is actually inherent to creation itself, what actually exists in nature versus what are simply constructs of the human mind that are believed in by most people. You know, it's interesting. Your, your definition of jurisdiction there shows the synthetic nature of what men and women do compared to what nature does. It flies in the face of the opening words of the book of John which I take as a maxim of basically natural law. You know, in the beginning was the word, people are, are familiar with it, but to, to get back to the popular culture and how the way we think is controlled, go back to Anarchy in the UK, that song made famous uh, by the Sex Pistols. In the opening words, if I'm not mistaken, it might be a little further in, he, he says, I am an anarchist, and then he says, I am the Antichrist. And basically what Mark's laying down is, you know, for people who followed on with the law episodes, we can show the King James Version 1611, that's the foundations for law in our world. But it goes to show you what men have done who seek more power uh, using the very thing that encodes the natural, the provably correct way of things. I mean, what would you say there, Mark? I think that's definitely correct, and I always liken it to the biblical uh, allegory of Eden, where the Creator is basically expressly forbidding the alleged eating of the fruit of the knowledge of the, the tree of good and evil. And people don't understand that allegory. They don't understand what that means. Uh, it does not mean that the Creator is forbidding to know good and evil. 
the word to eat of the tree, to eat of that fruit, okay, is a mistranslation in the original Hebrew. It doesn't mean to consume and actually by eating something like we would eat a piece of food. It's an allegory that means to take into oneself or to arbitrate. That's what the concept of to eat means. Instead of to eat, look at it as to consume, meaning to take into oneself or take upon oneself or to arbitrate what the difference between right and wrong is. Instead of discovering it, okay, to eat of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it it doesn't mean just to know what the difference between good and evil is. It means to say that you have become the arbitrator of the difference between good and evil, that you are not just a discoverer as anyone can become because there is a truth regarding the objective difference between right and wrong. Uh, That is our task as human beings is to literally discover what the objective difference between right behavior and wrong behavior is, and then willfully choose uh, through our free will, the right over the wrong. But that is not what people are doing. They are eating of that tree, quote unquote, by arbitrating what good and quote evil are by arbitrating the difference between right and wrong for themselves. That is saying, I will make up and decide for myself what right and wrong are. I will arbitrate that. I will make that distinction according to my own whims and preferences, not what is inherent to nature, not what is in accordance with the laws of morality of creation. And that is what moral relativism is. And most people in the world are moral relativists today. That's why the world has become so completely evil, really. That's why most people are not good people. They are supporting violence. They are condoning violence. They are doing violence. They are doing theft. All All the forms of wrongdoing can be broken down into forms of theft. There's really only one wrongdoing. Anything that anybody does that is a wrongdoing or a violation of someone else's rights is a form of theft because you can violate life, rights, property, well-being, security. These are all forms of theft. Murder, the theft of life without right. Assault, the theft of physical well-being without right. Rape, the theft of free will, sexual association without right. Trespass, the theft of security without right. Simple theft is the theft of property without right. And and you can go on and on. The whole idea is there is no wrongdoing that anyone can possibly commit that is not a form of theft in some form or fashion. So there's really only one overarching spiritual law. Don't steal. Don't take that which does not belong to you. And that's what understanding the difference between right and wrong is all about. Every single right that exists is a property right. And every single form of wrong that exists is a form of the violation of someone else's property right by taking something that doesn't belong to you. So I've often expressed the whole allegory of Eden as, uh, of really the whole planet Earth, is that this is a huge prison for thieves. We are here to learn not to steal. That is literally what the Earth is. It's like this huge spiritual prison for people to try to understand the difference between right and wrong by understanding what is their property, what do they actually own inherently in nature, and yes, there is such a thing as actual property. It's what we've acquired rightfully, we are using, and we are responsible for, and we maintain, and no one has the right to take from us, like our life, like our rights, like our freedom, and the physical property that we are employing. Every single form of wrongdoing, again, is 
a form of theft. And this entire construct that we call the earth, this entire domain, this entire plane of consciousness and existence is really a school and what we have turned into a self-imposed prison to learn the difference between right and wrong and learn what is our property and what is not and to learn not to steal. And essentially, since we have failed so miserably at that task as an entire species, that we have turned this planet through our own ignorance and our own ego and our own lack of employing the right decisions of our free will into a prison that is basically a prison for thieves, for people that cannot understand what their right to own is and what they do not have a right to take from someone else through an act of theft. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And what comes to mind when you say it is when you look at the the basic tenets of common law or the preceding that, which what I guess I would call natural law, what is there's two or three basic tenets, right? Um, but look what we do. There are so many so-called laws or statutes on the books. There's not a human being alive that could possibly know all of them. And in, in particular, like here in the United States, and every year there's going to be a thousands and thousands more added. Uh, it's beyond the pale because um, I don't remember the three tenets verbatim uh, that, that are around common law, but basically it's about no harm. You know, you haven't harmed someone, no issue. You haven't caused them loss, no issue. Do you remember what they are, Mark? No, not not specifically the three of, of common law, but natural law, I could sum up in a, a basic seven, which are the true seven deadly sins. Do not commit murder, assault, rape, theft, trespass, coercion, or willfully lying, bearing false witness. Those are the seven true deadly sins. The seven deadly sins are not pride, gluttony, sloth, lust, anger, jealousy, and greed. Those are vices. Those things do not actually initiate harm against another being. They are personal vices, which are not crimes. They are not actual forms of theft, of taking something away from another being. That's what needs to happen for a violation of property to have taken place, a violation of rights to have taken place. The real seven deadly sins, which are the proscriptions, the things not to do that would violate natural law, are murder, assault, rape, theft, trespass coercion and willfully lying or bearing false witness. And you could sum all of those wrongdoings up in one basic law of three words. And if you use a contraction, two words, don't steal, do not steal, don't steal. That's the only law there is in all of creation that if we violate, we take negative karmic consequence down unto ourself and our entire species by extension. And people can't get that simple law. They can't understand that simple, basic premise, that simple, basic rule of morality. And they will fight to the death to not understand it. They will want to remain in ego and create self-inflicted suffering for themselves because they don't have true self-respect. They don't know the truth and they don't have any true, they're in a deep state of self-loathing. And if we continue to apply biblical allegory to this, the whole concept of the Christ figure is natural law. It's all about, that's the way, the truth, the life, that's what will bring order. That's what will bring freedom. And when Jesus in the new Testament, the Christ figure was asked what his prescription for human freedom was by his disciples. He didn't say start a religion. He didn't say worship me. He didn't say worship anything. The answer of how do we set ourselves free from all the oppression, from all of the tyranny that human beings have been undergoing since they've been on this planet was know the truth. That was the only prescription for freedom that was given by the Christ figure of the New Testament. No 
the truth. And by extension, the truth will set us free. And people still cannot understand that allegorical significance that what was being said is know the truth about natural law, know the truth about the difference between right and wrong, and then choose what is true over what is false, choose what is right over what is wrong. That is what conscience, that's what the exercise of conscience is. Conscience is the knowledge of the difference between right and wrong, and the exercise of conscience is the free will choosing of right over wrong. And we are, as a species, humanity is nowhere near either of those things. Damn, dude, the scope and breadth of your reach is truly (laughs) impressive. As you were talking uh, about that passage from scripture, it brought to mind the other one uh, where the rich guy comes up, says, Lord, how do I find the kingdom of heavens? Basically, to summarize, says it's simple, just give away everything you, you own and come with me. He walks away crying, right, in that in that right. parable, uh, because he knows that he can't do it. Um, but Jason, you guitar toting anarchist, you want to get in on this? <laughs> well, there seems to be a conceptual anarchy movement going on right now, and it has been for quite a few years. Do you want to address that for anyone, Mark, who doesn't actually know or understand what that might be about and what they're actually trying to get to or perhaps even get back to would be a better way of saying it? Well, I would assume that you're referring to what I would just call pure anarchists or people who are not falling for this hyphenated anarchy nonsense, people who just want people to understand that anarchy means a state of freedom, a state of the absence of the concept of authority being believed in or or exercised. And this is an achievable state because it is logically provable. It is objectively and logically provable that no human being actually possesses authority over any other human being. Do we have the right to violate other people's rights? Do we have the right to take their property without right? Do we have the right to commit physical violence upon them without right? Does somebody have the right to say the fruit of your labor belongs to me in whole or in part? No, no individual has those rights. Those are all forms of theft. Those are all wrongdoings. Those are all initiations of violence against our fellow beings. So no individual has those rights. That is logically and objectively provable and true. So how, by extension, if a human being does not have the right to do those behaviors, could any human being or any group of human beings come together and say, we're going to grant or delegate these quote rights, which are not rights, they're actually wrongdoings, to someone else and say we're going to, uh, quote, allow them to do those behaviors. That negates the whole concept of authority and government right there. If individuals don't have the right to do something against their fellow beings, they cannot come together and grant that, quote, unquote, right, which is not a right, to any other group of people. And then magically call it a right and say that this oligarchical group of beings called government now possess these non-existent rights. This is the whole philosophical idea of what anarchy really is and means. No one can invent rights. No one can create rights that don't exist. No one can magically turn wrongdoings into rights. Our rights can never be actually stripped of us by any other beings because there are inherent birthrights of creation. Because a right is an actual action that takes place in the inherent natural universe, in the natural domain, in the natural world. It is an action that does not 
violate the rights of others because it does not initiate harm against others. That action takes place in nature. It takes place in the physical domain. It is not a construct of man. Actions are behaviors that take place in nature. And that is why the concept of rights is not something, it's not actually, I shouldn't even use the word concept, rights or behaviors. And no one has the right to to say that you cannot exercise behaviors that don't initiate harm against others. This is the whole philosophical idea, the whole philosophical idea of what real anarchy means. And any anarchist that is actually trying to get the word out about what real anarchy is, is understanding these philosophical ideas and they are trying to teach them to other people to help people to understand what natural law actually is, what rights actually are, and that the idea of authority is inherently morally illegitimate because the concept of carrying out authority must by definition be based in violence because authority is claiming that you have rights over someone else and they must obey the decrees that you put out. That is what authority literally is. It's saying that I'm the lawmaker. I have jurisdiction over you. I have authority over you and you must do what I say. You have some type of a moral obligation to obey my decrees as the master because you're my subject, my servant, my slave. And that's always inherently morally wrong and it's always inherently morally illegitimate. And that's what I consider the real anarchist movement. The true anarchist or voluntarist movement, as some people call it, is simply teaching those principles, the principles of non-aggression. No one has the right to initiate harm or fraud against their fellow human beings. And then we're combining that with the self-defense principle. If your rights are violated, if someone is in the process of taking away your rights, your life, your property without right, then you have the right to defend yourself through physical force up to and including deadly force if necessary, if they don't stop committing the act of aggression. So we do not have the right to commit aggression, which is the initiation of violence against our fellow beings. And we have the right to defend ourselves against aggression through physical force. Those are the two principles of what I would call the true anarchist movement. So I don't want to lead us too far off, but after you and I spoke last time, I thought, damn, I should have brought this up with Mark. And now as I'm trying to get it back in my head, I can't remember the two other kinds of wood, but I don't know anyone better who might be able to shed a little more light on what I'm about to ask you. So I think the first Pope that I'm aware of called Alexander, which is everyone else knows as Borgia who was probably Jewish, by the way, was certainly Spanish or a Catalan, as they like to call him. They made a big deal out of claiming he is buried in a lead coffin. But I later was reading that a lot of popes get buried in two types of wood. I can't recall. I think it's Cypress, something else, and then lead. So there's like these three caskets they're putting these dudes in. Just to bring everyone up to speed, everyone knows lead is associated with Saturn, Recently, someone who was doing the gold thing said quite often gold is found in the vicinity or needs to be separated from lead when it's mined. But do you have any insight on that? And I know it seems like a sidestep, but in a way, I think it relates. Do you have any clue or even do you remember what the other two woods are? Why are they burying those dudes like that? I do not, but I would assume that it is some type of an alchemical formula right. or ritual because uh, wood was always kind of the uh, idea of the spirit earth, air, water, fire, spirit, and spirit was often associated with wood. That is why the biblical figure of Christ in the New Testament was considered a carpenter, a worker with wood, a worker with spirit, or the fifth element of the five elements. 
Wood is something that is also ignitable into the fire, the fire of spirit, the fire of right action. So there's a kindling aspect to it to, to bring forth fire. It also comes from the earth. Trees grow from the earth. Their branches reach to the air. So it's a mixture of all of the other elements as well. They need to be watered. And that's the emotional aspect. The air is the intellectual or mental aspect. And of course, the fire is the will. So uh, the wood contains all of that. It contains uh, references to all of that, again, coming from trees. So I would imagine that that allegory that you're referring to in that burial is probably some type of an alchemical ritual or an alchemical reference. Yeah, we should both take a closer look at it because I know there's something to it. And the other thing I would mention is the outer casket. I think there's two inner wooden. I think one of them is Cypress. I can't believe I forgot the woods because I just got a hold of this, I don't know, three, four months ago and I was all over it. But as everyone knows, what has led to it blocks all kinds of light. Like when you go in for even an x-ray, those people are wearing lead shields, right? right. So there's this whole thing to it. But um, And that's the opposite. Exactly. Lead blocks light. It's heavy. Cold. It's, yeah. And uh, that's the idea of transforming that base metal into spirit, into higher level consciousness. That's what the whole process of alchemy was all about in the alchemical tradition. All right. So I didn't want to pull us too far off, but as you were speaking, I remembered that I forgot to bring that up the first time. If we do this again, we should both keep that in mind. Maybe we can come back on it because there's an interesting tale there because I found out that uh, subsequent folks, apparently a lot of them are buried that way, or that was a claim in one of the places I read. So let's pull it back around to anarchy. Jason, were you done with your idea? Yeah, I wanted to get that out there because a lot of people just don't understand what the actual concept of anarchy is supposed to be. And I see a lot of posts on social media and things like that going on and on and on about it. And I don't know if people necessarily understand what they're really talking about. Well, one of the things that I like to do with people who have a difficult time with the concept of anarchy is just ask them if they think that kingship was ever morally legitimate. In other words, when there was one ruler who claimed that he had the divine right to rule everybody else, he's the representative of God on the earth, and other people must obey his decrees or he'll send his henchmen to kill them to cut their heads off, okay? Was that ever a moral thing? Was there ever such thing as a moral king, even if you believe in this concept, this ridiculous notion of benevolent kingship, benevolent rulership, right? What is rulership by definition? It's someone saying, I will make the determination about how you must live. And if you don't obey me, then I am going to do harm to you. Is there anything moral in that? Can that ever be moral, right? The whole idea that someone is claiming authority over someone else, let's just remove the euphemism, right? This is what people need to do. They need to stop thinking only in terms of the euphemistic terms that they've been given to describe an actual situation in nature, right? That isn't kingship. That isn't rulership. Do you know what it really is? It's called slavery. That's all that ever was. That's all it is now. That's all it ever will be. It's called slavery when someone makes the claim over the life of another and says, you will live as I tell you to live or I'll commit harm to you if you don't comply. That is making a claim on the life of another being. So 
There was never a benevolent king. There was never a benevolent rulership. There was never a moral right to do that thing because that is slavery. Can slavery ever be moral? Well, the answer is no. There is no such thing as moral slavery. No one can put someone in a state of slavery and say, I'm doing a moral thing. No, you're doing a violent thing, and that's an immoral thing. And that's all kingship ever was. It is slavery. So the whole concept of authority, we really even shouldn't euphemize and call it, I'm claiming authority over you. No, you're claiming that you're my owner, and that means you're claiming that I'm your slave. Okay. And if you say it like that to somebody, they'll say, oh, well, I'm not anybody's legitimate slave, but you yet claim that someone has the legitimate authority over you. It's just a euphemized word for the same condition. That's all it is. And you think authority means something benevolent, but what it really is, is someone claiming you're their slave. So that's the state of slavery. We have to stop euphemizing it. So all the modern form of this condition was the ancient form of it is the Pharaoh ruling people the warrior king ruling people, the king, okay, or high-level priest class, it doesn't make a difference what form of authority. It was vested in basically one person, okay? Maybe at some times, maybe a couple of people calling themselves a royal family or royal dynasty, okay? So you had kingship vested in one, and now you have government vested in a few people, comparatively, if you look at the ratio of the number of people that are actually government officials, okay, or actually writing legislation and then enforcing it. It's an oligarchical few. So all that has changed from the ancient world to the modern is the concept of authority has been taken from being vested in one person, the king, the queen, etc. And it has been diffused. It has been diffused throughout an oligarchical few people by comparison, and they call themselves government. And that is the new slavery. And that's all it is. And we need to stop euphemizing it and calling it what it actually is. All forms of authority are slavery. As a form of authority, government qualifies. Government is slavery. It always has been, it is now, and it always will be nothing but slavery. And well, that we, is an immoral condition and condoning it is immoral. See, see, it's like, you know, not just the people who do it are the ones who are immoral. All the people who ever condoned slavery throughout the history of humanity were bad people. They are immoral people. They are immoral souls. And to continue to condone it once you understand what it is means that you're a bad person if you continue to do that. That's the whole idea that people have to understand. Anybody saying that anybody is someone's legitimate slave or anybody is anyone's legitimate authority is immoral. They are an immoral being because they are claiming that it is okay for that person or that group to commit violence against peaceful people who only want voluntary interaction with other people. And every claim of authority is a claim of ownership and is slavery. And anyone who condones that is condoning slavery, and therefore they are condoning the violence that backs up that slavery, and that makes them, by extension, also immoral people. You know, this is pulling me right back to where I set out to try to show a more reasonable way that I think is more probable how Rome fell than the story we're handed had to do with the families from the temple and so on. But during the course of that research, uh, I found verbatim that the upper crust families, the, I don't like the word, the elite families of Roman society owned something like 98% of right. all arable land. 
Yep. Um, so to put this into context for people, uh, does a human being have the right to forage for food? Well, under those constructs, no, they, well, they, they have the rights, but they're being prevented. They're being infringed because it's like, who's ever heard the story uh, from England when people got caught poaching in the King's forest where he liked to go hunt, you know, what happened to those people? Some of them put to death, but to go all the way back to the fall of Rome, you're looking at a situation where some authority is claiming ownership of basically all the arable land, arable meaning land that can be used, grown on these types of ideas. In other words, Everyone becomes a tenant of some sort, and everyone is basically asking permission to get their water, to forage for food, to hunt for food, all these kinds of ideas. So you can see how far this goes back, but I'll add another thing to what Mark just said. It's probably a lot more obvious in whatever time that might actually have been. I don't know the distance between then and now, or if the descriptions are as accurate as we'd like them to be. What I do know is that as we've come forward, every effort has been made to shadow out, to pull under the umbrella, to obscure the clear vision of what I just explained. Suppose tomorrow you were granted, that's a bad word. Suppose tomorrow you figured out a way to deal with the legal system and claim complete freedom. You're subject to nothing and no one ever again. And for the sake of this little idea we're expressing, no one's going to mess with you. All right. You're just going to walk away clean. Where do you go? Where can you find the mountaintop that someone's not claiming ownership of the land? Do you see? And so that begins to really point out the provable nature of what Mark just laid down. Because even if we were able to extract ourselves from all these kind of foul systems that everyone's getting fed up with, where do you go at right. this point? And, and that kind of demonstrates just how much everything needs to change. The system of oppression, the system of authority, the system of rulership, the system of government that you just explained, there is a name for. It's called feudalism. <laughs> it means that the master owns all the land and the subjects are merely people who are allowed to, to live upon it and perhaps work it if the master gives his consent and gives his decree that it, that it may be so. And that's what we have today. No one owns their property. No one actually really truly owns their homes because they're paying property taxes. If you really legitimately own your computer... Okay. Can I claim that you must pay me a tax every year or I'll strip it from you? No, because if that's the case, then it's really my property and I'm just allowing you to hold it for as long as you continue to pay me the extortion that I demand. And that's all property is in the modern day. If property is taxed, it isn't property. If anything is taxed, really, it isn't property. Okay, because taxation is theft. Taxation is a decree of saying you will pay me this extortion fee or I will do bodily harm to you. That's all it is. Income tax. We don't own the fruit of our labor. That's proof that we're living in feudalism and slavery. Property taxes are proof that we're living in feudalism and slavery. But people can't see it because they've euphemized these terms. It's not property tax. It's feudalism and slavery. It's somebody saying that you may not stay in that property without paying me something or I will come and do violence unto you. And people don't see it like that. They don't see it like that. They give a million excuses. Oh, well, you're, you're living in this township or area and schools are built there. Well, that has nothing to do with the price of tea in China. It's a complete non sequitur. One has nothing to do with another. Okay. 
So what if services are offered in an area? Just like people say, well, you signed this contract or that contract. If anybody signs some piece of paper, that is not somebody's right to go and commit violence unto them, okay? You could try to seek some type of compromise or remedy, but it's like just because they are tricking people into believing that there's some legal fiction doesn't grant them the right to do violence unto somebody just because uh, somebody agreed. It's like if somebody says that they'll take part in a game that uh, is being conducted at a carnival like a shell game, it doesn't mean that they have the right to be defrauded. It's like the carny or the uh, the con man doesn't have the right to defraud somebody with a rigged game that they voluntarily choose to take part in if the game is rigged. It makes it illegitimate. People can claim that authority all they want, but there will never be a legitimate right to it. And it's the same thing when it comes to taxation. It's the same thing when it comes to property tax. These are just claims that people believe in and believe are somehow morally legitimate when they are not, when they are all based in violence. And this is the fundamental recognition that people have to realize. We are living in a total immoral capacity against all of the laws of creation or the laws of God, if you want to call it that. I'm perfectly comfortable with that term. Some people are not. You can call it whatever you want. The laws of karma, the laws of morality, the laws of cause and effect, the laws of consequentialism, the laws of God. Okay. It's all the same thing. It's the moral laws of creation, the moral laws of the universe that if we live in harmony with and we live in accordance with, there will be order, there will be peace, there will be prosperity, there will be freedom. And the more we go against them as a society in the aggregate, the more we're going into disorder, enslavement chaos, total bondage. It's an inescapable law of creation. I refer to this natural law aspect as the law of freedom. As morality increases in the aggregate, freedom increases in the aggregate. As morality decreases in the aggregate and we become collectively more immoral through our choices, our behaviors, and what we condone, we become collectively more and more enslaved. So all you have to do to understand how that law is in effect is look at the result. Look at what we are receiving as a society, as a species. Are we going more toward freedom or are we going more toward enslavement? I think a a three-year-old with brain trouble, with physical brain damage could probably figure it out in a a couple of seconds without the aid of a slide rule, okay, to be a little bit sarcastic, all right? That is how easy it is to understand the direction the human society and, and the human species is headed. We are going down the cosmic toilet. We are going into total abject bondage and slavery, and there's a reason for that because we will not learn the laws of morality and abide by them. We want to usurp the place of the creator of the universe and say that somehow we can make up what right and wrong are. And all we will ever do with that position is bring more harm, suffering, death, chaos, and slavery down upon ourselves. Well, to put a way to think about this, because people get tied up in terms, suppose a person invented a new way to light a room and then claimed they invented light. They didn't invent light. Light's here. Light will always be here. Light is what it is. And so in a way, the proof that you can go out and know that light is here is one of the immutable things put into the way this place functions. So when men and women come along and make a flashlight or a light bulb and claim they've done something, it's a bit ironic. And as a matter of fact, if you go back in the old enough definitions, uh, the first light bulbs, there were referenced to them as being false light, which I like that definition. But Mark, what you're saying, I'm with you all the way. 
But I would add, I think this is the burnout phase. I don't know what period of time we begin to lift, but I suspect after this, it's like the idea of a house, got to have a true foundation. Everything we've seen built recently has no true foundation. That's and right. Therefore, it can't stand. And so in the case of 2020, we can observably see that outright deceit, lies, and dark heartedness have become the driving force that leverages off fear to try to get to an end. This is unsustainable, but what it shows is exactly what Mark's getting at. It's like a corporation, right? At first, a corporation starts up like Google, and they have this clever little motto, don't be evil. Well, by the time the year 2000 gets here, the venture capitalists are saying, you, you people had better turn a profit this year or you're done. And all of a sudden, don't be evil gets thrown out the window and actually be evil becomes the operating plan. But they got to hide these ideas. So some dude stands up in 99 and says, guess what? There's no more privacy and no one believes him, but he's telling the truth. But now everyone believes him. You see the slip that's gone on over this time. But what's more is the people who have at least an eye to see with or half an ear to hear with understand that everything that has driven the 2020 narrative is a falsehood. And it's worse than a falsehood because it attacks the very spiritual nature of what it means to be a living man or a woman, to cover your spirit. It's a bit like saying, I got this special water and I'm going to snuff every divine spark I can come to. But Mark, we've got about 10 minutes left in the hour. So I don't want to forget this. Tell people where they can find you again. Let's close with a couple ideas. Sure. Yeah. My main website is what on earth is happening.com. And, uh, the concept of the site was conceived, I guess, back in around 2005, where I wanted to put out what I felt was really going on on this planet and give the philosophy that I had learned regarding the objective difference between right and wrong behavior to help people to understand that natural law is in effect and that we are here to learn and grow in consciousness and to learn the difference between right and wrong. And the website doesn't have a question mark at the end because it's not intended to be a question. It's a statement. What on earth is happening? And this is my explanation of that. And it's a stepwise progression. It's an initiation, I would call it, because the site is actually, if you go through the podcast, organized in a way that takes people through a very specific stepwise progression to awaken them out of unconsciousness and help them to understand what's really going on within them and around them. It's an examination of self and it's an examination of human society, culture, and uh, the human species. So again, always recommend people go to the podcast page. I call that starting the journey to true spiritual awakening and uh, listen in order from number one at your own pace. Do not skip. Do not skip around. Just start from number one and proceed to number two and three and four and just keep going at whatever pace it takes for you to get through them. And again, if you do it like that, an entire worldview paradigm shift will happen in your mind if you bear through it and go through all that material. And people will go, oh, well, there, some of this is uh, old. No, all of the philosophy stands. It's eternal. 
Okay. There are old events, but the events that I talk about and announcements that I go through are actually important reminders of what people were doing and what we are still doing. Okay. It's like, it's a highlighting of what I call the great work, the one great work to end human slavery. And people complain sometimes about, well, some of these podcasts, it's not all just your content. It's not all just the material about the philosophy. No, I highlight what people are doing. I talk to people. I interview people as well. And I think that's important content in it as well. And I would recommend to people to go through that as well. You know, if you want to skip some event announcements, fine, whatever. But the whole idea is power through something. Most people can't even do that anymore in the world. They don't know how to exert and exercise their will. I see people give up when things aren't easy all the time, whether it comes to technology or understanding something or getting something done in in the physical world. A lot of people look at a task and go, well, is that going to take more than a few minutes of my time? And the answer is, yeah, it is. It's going to take many hours, many, many, many hours of your time, right? But see, the thing is, is there's only really two spiritual currencies. There's time and there's attention. And that's why we say spending time and paying attention, right? If you spend the time to go through this podcast and you pay attention to it and you really look at the things that are discussed in it and you go through even some of the ancillary materials that I present with each podcast, you will get a payment at the end. It will not be something that you do just for free. There will be an exchange. Okay. You will receive something for your investment of time and attention. And that will be light. That will be knowledge. That will be hopefully wisdom. If you take action upon that knowledge and you will definitely go through a paradigm shifting experience. I can guarantee that if you take the time to go through that podcast. So that's where the main body of my work is at. What on earth is happening.com. I'll add a couple things and then I'll ask you a question before we close up. I remember in the old, you know, black and white movies, the the grifters are always looking for a rube. Yes. Well, this is what knowledge will excuse you from being the rube, the easy mark, the child that looks like an adult, the person that's easy to fool, which has been most of us up into the recent decades. For my part, a lot of it came down to common sense, but I'm going to state what I think is probably correct. And the reason I think it's, it's not probably correct. I accept it. And the reason I accept it is because I understood that when these kind of systemic things, men and women create these perversions of nature, they get so complex. There's no easy way to get your mind around them. And some years ago I realized, no, this is simple. You just use a natural tenant from natural law to measure what they're warping. And so what I realized was that what's gone on here is a smokescreen in the year 2020. And what we all think is the problem is actually covering up all these other things that are going on, that this is unsustainable and that they, like some of us know, we're entering a new era. And I like to sum that era up as this possible explanation. The one we're leaving was based in, I believe things. The one we're entering is going to be based in, I know things. And in this there's really no way to hold down the human divine spark. And I always make the joke from Sound of Music, you know, how do you keep a wave upon the sand? I always say, how do you solve a problem like Maria? Just because I'm using the wordplay, someone could joke me back and say, well, you don't do anything with Maria. You jump in her and you swim, right? Because it's the allegory for the ocean or the water or the wet ideas. But what's your take? Is this sustainable? We can't just 
lackadaisically go back to sleep here. That's not what I'm suggesting. But what I am suggesting is we're at the end of an era, and what we see going on here is going to crash and burn hard at some point. What's your take? We are inexorably and inevitably screaming into total chaos and disintegration, screamingly fast, rushing toward it. And that's the only way that I could put it. And th- there's a reason for that, that things are going to break down into total chaos. They already are in chaos. They're going to break down into massive suffering and death. And I don't say those terms lightly or to be an alarmist. We are going to see suffering the likes of which we haven't ever seen on this planet. And there's one reason for that. The inability of the human being to say three simple words, I was wrong. And that is the nature of being entrenched in deep ego. And I don't mean ego in the sense that uh, when I pick up a glass, I raise it to my mouth instead of someone else's. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the out of control ego, that sense of identity that we cannot let go of the story that we tell ourselves about who we are, you know, and then we get invested in that, right? That's what I'm talking about as the ego that people cannot let go of. They cannot let go of who they say that they are and see past that to see that they are a consciousness. They cannot understand that. They're too a-spiritual to even understand that concept of letting go of a false identity and understanding who you are really deep down underneath. That's why so few people can't make the distinction about what the world has become as slavery. They don't even understand that they're enslaved and everyone else is. And that's why most people aren't doing the great work. They're not trying to reach people with this philosophy. They don't even understand that the world as it is today is a problem. They're actually fine with it. People are basically fine to just go along with this system of tyranny and enslavement as long as they have their bellies full and have a roof over their head because that's all they care about. Most people will go along with the tyranny if they're given enough money and resources to just go along with it or to carry it out. They'll do even immoral behaviors for any amount of money. That's the kind of immorality that we've been steeped in in the world. And there's only one result that you can receive from creation. It's a law. It's like saying, well, if I take my clothes and I put them here in this hamper or this basket, and then I pour a bunch of acid all over them, is there going to be some kind of negative repercussion to the clothes if I pour strong acid that will dissolve fabric all over clothes? Yeah, it's a law. It's a chemical reaction that's in the nature of reality that it's going to work like that. Okay, You're not going to stop that if you do that behavior. If you put your hand over a hot stove, it's going to burn the flesh. Okay, If you walk off the top of a large building, you're going to fall and get hurt or die. That's inescapable laws of the mechanics of nature. Well, there's inescapable laws of behaviorism. It's no different. It's the same thing. It's a law in the natural universe that is inescapable. It's immutable. It cannot be changed and we cannot escape the result. We can only choose how we're going to behave. So we can elevate our consciousness and understand how that law works. And then we can get a different result by aligning our behavior to how something actually works by not walking off the edge of the cliff, by not putting our hand in the stove, by not throwing caustic acid all over something that we don't want to destroy. But the problem is human beings are in a satanic mindset. They are in a mindset that says, no, I will not admit that I have been wrong because 
essentially, I want to usurp the place of creation and claim that I am God, that I'm the arbiter of truth, that I'm the arbiter of right and wrong. And only death, suffering, chaos, and bondage can ever result from that satanic mindset. It will only get you slavery and death. That's all it can create. But yet that is where we are as a species almost entirely. I would say 99.5% of the public, and I might be conservative in that estimate, is in that satanic mindset. All right. Well, that does cue us up for the second hour because we're going to get into the tenets of Satanism, uh, which really started to come to the fore under kind of underground way uh, in the music of the 60s and the 70s. And as time went on, it started to be more openly embraced, and then it started to be morphed into appear to be something that it's not. I agree with Mark. We're going through the disillusionment right here. But in my view, at some point, we're going to pull up. And uh, I don't know whether that's within my lifetime or the next folk behind me, whether they're going to put up with Hellbent. And I think there's every possibility for Hellbent. If, for example, everyone lines up and says, yeah, sure, whatever's in that hypodermic needle, go ahead and put it in me. I think if we go down that road, yeah, there's going to be a lot of culling. At the end of the day, uh, I think we're going to be okay, but change ain't easy. And the degree to which we're going to go through this breaking of eggs for the new omelet, it remains to be seen, whatever that might be. But I do know there are a lot of people that maybe even a couple years ago didn't have a clue. They're starting to to pick up on things. But that does bring first hour of 271. If you're hearing this, you're going to be on the website. But hour two will run on crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777 radio.com. You can be a member at any level and log in for the full episode. And again, we're going to pick up on the tenets of Satanism. I don't think the hour one's going to run on YouTube just because I don't want to contend with their nonsense. But there it is, man. Join us on the other side. Cheers. <laughs> 